I want to take you back this morning. I want you to try and think back to a time, for some of us, not so long ago, for others, maybe a good long time ago. I want you to think back to that time when life was not so complicated. Think back to what life was like when you were young with no responsibilities, not a care in the world. Some of you may even still be there here today. And consider how fortunate it was to live a life that was, that was simple. When the most difficult things that you had to figure out on a day-to-day basis um, might have been, you know, what snack you were going to eat after, after school or whose house you were going to ride your bike to. Um, maybe the most difficult and most challenging thing you had to determine was what, you know, what, cartoon, what, what cartoon to watch on Sunday morning when there were conflicting channels and you couldn't watch everything at once because there was no DVR and there was no way to rewind or, or uh, stream anything. I want you to think back to life when um, things, even right and wrong, seem to be painted in very clear black and white. Um, you know, when wisdom at a young age just amounted to obeying your father and your mother, you know, memorizing your Bible or your catechism questions, and then taking the simple steps to just you know, um, to follow to follow the simple commands of Scripture. Think back to a time, if it did exist for you, um, when life as a Christian was, was simple and that, the, and that following the Lord as a, as a child or with, like, with the faith of a child was clear-cut and um, didn't require a lot of um, jumping through hoops mentally to, to determine right from wrong. But unfortunately, I think we're all aware to some extent that as you grow up, both as a, as a person, as you grow up as a, as a Christian, I think the ordinary experience for every Christian, um, every Christian living is that things do get complicated as you try to live faithfully before, before the world. That as you build upon those basic things you learn as a child, those basic Bible principles and, and, and simple catechism memorization, Determining right and wrong, determining what is, what is best, um, that becomes complicated. Making decisions for your life, the big decisions, like where you're going to go to school or where you're going to work, where you're going to live, who you're going to uh, marry, well, all those decisions can become uh, overwhelming. All the various options, determining you know, what's good, what's better, what's best, Moving forward in life, it can be quite a bit paralyzing. Learning to live well, having a life that is shaped by a desire to do what is true and good and beautiful, well, it requires a lot of skill and a lot of practice. That art of living, that ability and that skill to live well, it's what the Bible calls wisdom, and it is what we're going to take up for consideration here this morning. Living well, um, getting things right, you know, having a life that, is, that, that, that has meaning, that is worthwhile, um, that makes all the right decisions, well, that is something that everyone on one level or another does desire. It's one of the things, it's one of the main motivating reasons why people turn to things like philosophy and religion. People are looking, no matter what uh, worldview, no matter what religion or philosophy they take up, they want, they want this. They want a life that is lived well with the short amount of time that we have before us. And every 
philosophy, every religion does have a different perspective on what that good life looks like. What does it mean to live uh, and to live well in this, uh, in this world? Well, James chapter 3, verses 13 and 18 has a lot to say about this. It does indeed give us a vision of the good life, of a very skilled way of living. And it has this prolonged conversation regarding wisdom, even a, a, a contrast between two different types of wisdom. A wisdom that comes from above and a wisdom that comes from an earth. James provides us a bit of guidance for making some of life's most important choices in a world that does get complicated and that can be challenging and where discerning not just right from wrong but also, once again, what is, what is best can get muddled and can be difficult. So I hope this morning as we consider this text it can be of some encouragement, give us a a little bit of guidance in um, how we should conduct ourselves and live our lives um, from these simple, simple verses that he gives us. I'm going to look at this at three headings once again today, and I'm going to begin uh, with point number one, the art of sound living. The art of sound li- living. The wisdom of the Bible, and in particular what's happening here in the book of James, uh, this is one of the, mo- one of the more beauti- beautiful and eloquent parts of James, of his letter. Uh, if you read the whole thing, this, this particular passage is very, is very striking because there's a whole lot packed in here. He's saying some very profound things. Not even one sermon can give you the full exhaustive explanation of. Um, in verse 13, he asks the question, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And then, of course, from here, he does launch into this discussion regarding wisdom. So I want us to back up just a little bit before, before we completely dive in to give a few thoughts on the topic of wisdom, in particular, biblical wisdom. For James, as well as for the whole testimony of the Scripture, uh, wisdom is one of the most necessary and vital elements for living the Christian life, for, for a sound Christian life and practice. As I've used the phrase before, uh, wisdom does have a lot to do with living, living the good life, um, living, living, a, uh, living a life as a human before God, as God intended, living and walking upright, um, living in, rela- in right relationship to God, to others, and even to the world. And what James points out here is one of the fundamental and most principled ideas regarding wisdom and how to gain wisdom and how it's lived out. And it's it's this connection between between instruction and practice. And we see that right at the outset. Um, He says, you know, or he asks who is wise, and then he answers the question, well, you can tell who is wise by those who have sound conduct uh, and those who live a particular way. If we gave a simple definition to wisdom, we can maybe call wisdom as this, or wisdom as this capacity uh, to choose and to do that which is good and praiseworthy, um, along with honorable means to pursue, or, uh, or having honorable and sound means to pursue them. This idea of wisdom, once again, is so important. I mean, it constitutes a whole genre of books of the Bible. There are books that we refer to as the wisdom literature, as there are books like, you know, like Proverbs or Job, for, 
for example. Not just are they books of the Bible, but wisdom is also woven throughout many of the stories. We think of some of the greatest figures of the Old Testament. Um, you know, someone who we might consider is like Solomon, right, who desired wisdom and who ruled with wisdom. I think when we speak about just pure wisdom, though, most of us go to the book of Proverbs first as our first go-to, uh, because that is a book of, of wisdom and sayings. And that book, when describing just exactly what is wisdom and what's the point of this idea, it begins in this way. Proverbs 1 opens and says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. The Proverbs are meant to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. That really does summarize uh, the intent and the purpose of, of wisdom. And James here, in, uh, you know, he draws from that biblical tradition and he gives us his thoughts on what does it mean to live sound? How do we acquire this wisdom? What is important for us, uh, for us to know and what should we, what should we be warned against. One of the things, though, that is important, that is very important to note is that wisdom is not just something that you fall into. It's not just something that, that, you, um, that you just back into or that, you don't, or that doesn't require any effort. If anything, the whole testimony of all of Scripture, including from James here, is that wisdom must be acquired. Um, it must be mastered. It's like a, it's like a skill. You have to be intentional, and it requires a certain, a certain kind of training. In order to live artfully, uh, you have to begin with basics and, uh, and compound one principle on top of another as you put those things into practice, to live what the Bible refers to as an ordered, a well-ordered life. Now, wisdom begins with that portion of Scripture that we normally consider law, so basic rules, right? Um, wisdom is built upon the rigid and objective moral standards of God, which don't change, right? So when we confess those Ten Commandments and we hear them as the summary of God's moral law, those things don't shift. They never, um, they never change. But to say that to live wisely is identical as to uh, just rigidly understanding the law, they're not, they're not quite the same thing. Wisdom isn't even a, a flat and oversimplified application um, of the law, but the two do interact, both wisdom and law. We think of law as this very rigid, fixed, objective set of standards or these set of rules. Um, then we can think of wisdom as more of our subjective capacity to receive those laws and then apply them, but to apply them with increasing skill and art over time um, in any given situation. To be someone who is wise is to take the law of God and internalize it, meditate on it, apprehend it so fully and thoroughly um, that it just bleeds through every area of your life. Wisdom perceives and comprehends the requirements of God's law and enables you to act accordingly. But again, 
it's important to think of wisdom more as an art um, or a skill than a science. Because wisdom, once again, goes beyond that simple and direct rote repetition of the law. It's like mastering an instrument. When you begin to learn an instrument or any other, or um, well, let, let, let's stick with an instrument. One of the things that you have to do to begin is you have to learn the basics, or you have to learn the fundamentals. You cannot, uh, uh, you, like you have to have the foundation. You have to learn basics, technique, and, and of theory. And without that, if you go on living, you just, you know, or playing an instrument, you just end up making noise. And so it is with wisdom. You have to learn the basics. You have to learn the law. You have to know what God requires of us. But then it's also important at a, at, as you grow in life and, or, or as you grow as a musician to take those building blocks and to weave them into more and more complex compositions, to take those fundamentals you learn uh, and then to be able to artfully and skillfully employ them uh, to make a, a, a beautiful noise or, or to make beautiful music out of your life. That is the true nature of, of wisdom. You know, at some point, life starts to get complicated for us. As your children mature, they get older, they move through adolescence. Uh, those simple principles that they were taught as, as children, while they are required with more and more complexity to employ um, wisdom, And it's true of all uh, those who seek to mature in Christ. We all desire a certain measurement of growth uh, in Christ, and it will not come without your ability to grow in wisdom. Now, James, thankfully, he gives us, throughout the rest of these verses, some very clear set of instructions. He he says, if you desire wisdom... If you're going to grow in wisdom and you're going to uh, live as someone who is wise, there, here are two things you need to have in mind in order to succeed at that task. And he gives us these two sets of, like these two ways or two roads. Um, he gives us the wrong way to go about things, to be wise. And then he gives us the right way to pursue wisdom. And so those two things that, that um, James lays out, those will form the remaining two points for the sermon. So the, last, so the, the second thing I want us to see here is the wrong way that um, James points out. Point number two, the wisdom of the earth. The wisdom of the earth. James begins this contrast by first describing the wrong way to acquire wisdom. If you're going to live wisely, this is what you want to avoid, beginning in verse, four, beginning in verse 14. There's a, certain, there's a certain character and quality uh, to this false way of wisdom. And he calls it the wisdom that is, that is earthly. He says in verse 14, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but is a wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And this summary of a wisdom that is of the earth he focuses on two key qualities or two motivating qualities of this type of, of disordered wisdom of the earth. And he repeats these qualities twice in verses 14 and 16. He says that this type of wisdom is full of jealousy and selfish ambition. Now, both of these ideas, both of these qualities of, um, that are ungodly, they come up a lot in the New Testament. 
So, for example, Paul will use jealousy in his list of works according to the flesh, or those things that the doers will not inherit, that the doers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jealousy is right there in the list over and over. He also warns in a place like Philippians 2, he warns against selfish ambition or conceit, being conceited. And very clearly, as you look at these things that are repeated, jealousy and selfish ambition, both of them at their core have at the heart the biggest error of the wisdom of the earth. And that is the elevation um, and the concern and the reliance upon the self. An unhealthy uh, reliance upon the self. And this is a thoroughly biblical and key insight uh, to wisdom. There is a wisdom from the earth. It endures unto this day. And it is the wisdom that, that is consistent with exaltation of the self, self-righteousness, self-reliance, uh, placing the self as the center of all authority and truth, uh, being guided completely by the self, treating the world and others as though everything is meant to revolve around you and is there to serve your purposes, and buffering and resisting any sort of influence from the outside um, that would have an effect or change the direction of you listening to yourself. This is the wisdom of the earth um, that tends not only to individualism, uh, but is a wisdom that tends toward the sense of self that is inward and independent of God and the world and anything that lives in it. This is one of um, the most obvious developments and one of the most obvious ways in which we are saying something different from the world around us. Um, because this notion of the self being absolutely sovereign, the establishment of the self as the seat of all authority, um, of, all, of all truth, the idea that, um, that the self has to be completely safeguarded against anyone who would threaten, who would threaten it, well, that is the, the challenge of our day. It's not, it's the, it is the most fundamental and principled way in which we are different. We are at odds with the wisdom of the world. And make no mistake about it, that idea, these, these notions that the self is the ultimate uh, uh, vector or, or, or determinator of truth, here, James calls this philosophy, this wisdom, he calls it unspiritual, and he calls it demonic. And when he calls it unspiritual, it's not because it doesn't deal with like spiritual realities, um, and, and demonic forces, he means it's unspiritual because it's not of the Holy Spirit. It's not of that life-giving, truth-giving spirit. In that way, it's unspiritual. Um, but it is, it is spiritual in terms of, well, it's demonic. It's, it is a philosophy and, as a, and, as a, and, and it's a wisdom that is influenced by the, by the powers of this world, by the principalities of this world. And this is part of our spiritual warfare, is recognizing that this wisdom from the earth is demonic. Um, and that all, I mean, and, and that this has always been the case, and this, this idea of the supremacy of the self, has, it's at work in every pagan and false, false religion, this, this emphasis on self-actualization, overcoming the limitations placed on the inner self from all external factors, whether it be the outside world or even your physical body, 
This is demonic wisdom. It's shocking um, to hear James speak so forcefully and clearly that, uh, that these ideas, which are championed today once again, um, are in fact uh, antichrist and have faithfulness and have, and have uh, uh, their origin for the doctrines of demons. Following that elevation of the self um, is one way to massively disorder and disorient your life. Because not only is, is it destructive, but it also has no, um, it also is completely lacking in truth. It says if you're, it says in verse 14, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish, selfish ambition in your hearts, while you're, you're boasting in something that is false and something that is not true, um, at the center of this wisdom is a falsehood. It, it is a lack of truth. It is completely inconsistent uh, with the truth of reality as revealed to us in the scriptures. Any wisdom that tells you that you are autonomous, master of your own life, is set against the wisdom that comes from above, which is the third and final thing I want us to see here from James. So point number three, the wisdom from above. The wisdom from above is set in contrast to the wisdom of the earth. The wisdom from the earth is demonic, if it, is, if it is untruthful, and in its essence, it is about finding authority uh, and wisdom from the self. Well, the wisdom from above is set in contrast to that. It is a wisdom that is from above and is said that it is first pure in verse 17. It's a wisdom that is peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial. It's sincere. And the reward that those who walk in wisdom will reap is a harvest of righteousness that is sown in peace. Well, very clearly, the most obvious thing we can say about this that sets it against the wisdom of the earth is that this is a wisdom that comes from above. It comes from heaven. It has its origin in God himself and in his revelation. Um, Also, it's important to note that whereas the final thing said about the wisdom of the earth is that it's, is that it, it's, it's, uh, it's born through falsehoods. But this is a wisdom that is pure, meaning it's truthful. Uh, that it comes from, from God as, as divinely revealed from Him. And whereas the earthly lacks truth, this wisdom has its first concern in being true and pure. And in order to gain it, it requires us Uh, to acknowledge its origin with fearful reverence of the one who delivers it. This is why we're told in places like Proverbs 1 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. That seeking wisdom requires that the very first thing you do is that you cease laying claim to your own autonomy and authority. It demands first and foremost you stopped uh, or you stop looking to the self, you recognize you are not your own, and reverently fear and seek the God who is from above. Proverbs 3 elaborates on this. It tells us in verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. 
Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It's hard. It's, it's like really hard to, under, like to undersell how dramatic this contrast is and that this is something that isn't just, you know, that, that I'm not just bringing to you because this is something that we deal with today, but this is the fundamental uh, difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom from above in the scriptures. That it's the wisdom of the self on the one hand and the wisdom of God on the other and that to, to, to live well in this life does require you to continually elevate and elevate the wisdom of God um, and to decrease your dependence upon yourself. The purity of this wisdom that comes from above um, is revealed to us through these propositions, through instructions. But very clearly, James also doesn't have just those things in mind here. Um, But also, using the language of a wisdom that is coming from above to describe it, as a way to associate this wisdom, which has its origin in God and Christ. Christ himself, his person, is revealed throughout the scripture as the wisdom of God, the wisdom that has been sent to earth from above. For example, in Colossians 1, Christ is called both the power and the wisdom of God. And as we read through Proverbs 8, as we were reading parts of that wisdom. I mean, it's really hard to read that as, as a Christian and to not see how wisdom personified seems to, seems to match the testimony of Scripture elsewhere regarding Christ as wisdom being something that the Lord possessed in the beginning, that was there with him before the foundations. Um, wisdom from above, in other words, is closely related to and is the truth personified in in Jesus Christ. So if this is the case, this is what James is revealing, that wisdom is closely associated with our reception of Christ who comes from above and that turning to God reverently in fear to seek his wisdom also necessitates a, a, a pursuit of Christ. Well, that means that if we seek to be wise in this life and if we seek to live well, then all of our decisions, big and small, the way in which we move about through the world, all of those things must be calibrated to the pursuit of Christ and his kingdom and his righteousness. To live wisely requires that we consider Christ in all things, what he requires of us, how we may honor him, how we worship him, how we live faithfully before him. There is no discussion or conversation as New Testament Christians of, of, of wisdom without regard to Christ because he transforms everything. I mean, he transforms all of our ethics, our morals. Um, right? The way in which we delineate justice requires that we consider Christ. As we read, for example, in the Beatitudes, uh, no longer do we just have eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth in every situation, but sometimes... We have to forgo retribution and, and deal with people mercifully and with restraint. To live wisely as people who, wanna, who want to um, raise families, well, all of that has to be calibrated to consider what it means to live wisely uh, before Christ. What does it mean to have a family and a marriage and to, and to raise children reverently? Well, we have to, regard, we have to consider all those things in relation to what Christ demands of us. 
even when we have to, even when we pursue good things like careers, where we work, what type of jobs we, we choose to work, um, how much wealth we want to accumulate, and, where, and will we be cutthroat and just seek prestige and power and influence at all costs? Are those things, are those things fitting, or, do, or, or does Christ and his kingdom factor in? True wisdom demands that we do consider him. What is wise and good in Christ is going to cause us to stand out further and further from the world. And living for him will come with its costs. The wisdom of God, though, as it's revealed to us in the person of Christ, who was the God who took on flesh and died for the sins of his people upon the cross, that wisdom will always confound other people. And so part of the lesson here, part of the main, the main point here is this idea that the more and more you live according to the wisdom that is from above, the wisdom that is consistent with Christ and his kingdom, well, the more and more that's going to be at odds with the wisdom of this earth. And that will necessitate um, not just misunderstanding, but also at times hostility. I mean, Paul would talk about the wisdom of God, calling it a stumbling block, um, foolishness, that the world would mock the sending of Christ. How much will the world also mock and ridicule those um, who follow this wisdom? Well, the last thing to say here um, in closing, though, is that as we pursue a life lived before the face of God, fearing Him, honoring Him, abandoning ourselves, um, so that we can live for him and his righteousness. It is also important to James here that we, that we remember that we have to be cautious because being wise is not just a matter of knowing the right things, um, not even making the right decisions, but part of wisdom is also, is also making those decisions in the right way or having the right conduct that is, fit, that is fitting for those who want to be truly wise. There's a lot of this conversation here about being wise, but also being people who live a certain way. Um, that we can't be wise without telling the truth, absolutely. This is about, like, wisdom is about truth. But the truth also must be adorned with these other qualities he describes in verse 17. He says the wisdom from above is first pure, so it's true, but... It's also peaceable, gentle, open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial, and it's sincere. The picture here of somebody who's wise, um, even though they are living uh, for God alone and they are denying themselves and they are doing warfare against the wisdom of the, of the earth, the picture is someone who is peaceable and gentle and meek. It paints a picture of those who are wise, but they're not quarrelsome. Um, that they don't stoop to the level of the adversary. They don't devolve to the level of what's called the fool elsewhere. Um, that is probably the greatest challenge for us today, living with the wise witness in this life. That these qualities do describe um, a certain attitude, a, uh, a loving attitude, a winsomeness, that these qualities are not optional. But your life, if it's, built, if it's built on the foundation of God's word, it is not well-ordered if that life is built in harshness, 
uh, if it's full of machismo or it's full of arrogance and pride. If you show partiality to one group over another, that you may be um, following the law according to its letter, but you're not wise. Also, consider these other qualities. To be wise means that you don't feel threatened when someone attacks uh, the wisdom of the Scripture because you're someone who is open to reason, which means that you are so convinced regarding the truths of Scripture that you don't need to be dominating or controlling uh, or forceful, uh, but you could be someone who's full of mercy, be kind and forgiving. You're someone who can exercise great restraint and forbearance, even against enemies who would threaten you. This is probably the area where the most growth for wisdom is to come. Is that it's very rare for people who attend church to have to be convinced of the truth. But we do have to be convinced of the way in which we conduct ourselves and apply that truth before men. And even in, even in spite of our failures, the way in which we've lacked self-control and not demonstrated lives that accord with this wisdom. May we remember that Christ has mercy, that he forgives us in all of our weaknesses, and that even as we fail, um, we confess our sins, and he has set before us his own example of how to deal with the world in full truth, but also as one who is full of grace and mercy as well. May we consider Christ as we fall short um, and seek his forgiveness afresh, Um, And we fail. Let's pray.